Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the CBS News Roundup ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Coming up, thanking the nation's troops on Memorial Day. For the freedoms that we have and for the country that we fought for. Remembering the murder of George Floyd three years later and the global protest over racism. It was that day that the world's eyes opened. In the Kaleidoscope with Allison Key segment, the bravery of Japanese-American troops in the face of bigotry. They used war hysteria to promote prejudice and discrimination against Japanese-Americans. I'm Allison Keyes in the Washington Bureau. We begin this week with Memorial Day. Monday is a very special holiday where we honor those who lost their lives defending this country and the armed forces. More than 1.1 million Americans have been killed in all U.S. wars. Remembrance ceremonies are being held all around the nation, including at Arlington National Cemetery, where there will be a wreath laying at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Now for the thoughts of service members such as Army Reserve Warrant Officer Rod Rodriguez on what this day means. The power of Memorial Day is that we don't just remember, we honor that memory. That's what Memorial Day is for, is to cherish and honor the memory and protect it from the nonsense of politics and partisanship and finger pointing and blaming. We protect the memories of those that fell from that. That's our that's our goal. Navy SEAL Jonathan Wilson says the nation has lost a lot of people defending freedom, and he is grateful for this country every single day. Every day I step outside of my house in Colorado, I see the mountains. Like, that's a blessing, right? I go back to the East Coast and I see friends. We're in Virginia Beach. I see my brothers. Like, um, we go back to the old bases. Like, it's a blessing. You see the next generation of warfighters getting ready to protect our freedoms like we did. Uh, I... Dude, this country is amazing. Uh, we just need to open our eyes, put our differences aside, shut up, like be present, see what's in front of you, man. Be grateful for that because there's other people that aren't able to appreciate uh, a bit of what we have. So, yeah, for me, um, there isn't a day that, that that goes by that I am not grateful for for the freedoms that we have and for the country that we fought for. If you see troops or veterans over the weekend, don't forget to thank them for their service. Now to travel as millions of Americans head out of town for Memorial Day weekend and millions more are making plans for the rest of the summer. What's it going to cost you? James Cagney shares his name with a classic Hollywood actor, but in his big role as husband, he's filling up and taking his wife on vacation. 
It's a weekend getaway. We do it every week, every every year on Memorial Day. This year, Cagney's paying less for gas. According to AAA, prices at the pump are down more than a dollar a gallon from a year ago. That means over the Memorial Day four-day weekend, Americans are going to be spending $1.6 billion less on gasoline compared to last year. Patrick DeHaan from GasBuddy says prices could remain steady for a while. Barring hurricanes or unexpected disruptions, uh, gas prices should be affordable for much of the summer. AAA says more than 42 million Americans will travel 50 miles or more from home this Memorial Day weekend. The TSA is expecting a record number of flyers. Heading overseas is more expensive than a year ago. But according to the travel site Hopper, domestic tickets are down about 19%. And travelers taking off early in the week can save even more. Typically, domestic airfare is anywhere from $50 to $100 cheaper departing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Hopper's Haley Berg says hotel rooms are pricier, up 11% from last year. You can find better deals, especially if you book at the last minute in major cities and stay off the beaten track outside of the main downtown areas. Berg says another way to save, put off flying until the fall, when airfares are about 30% cheaper. Christian Benavides, CBS News, Pompano Beach, Florida. Speaking of flying, CBS's Chris Van Cleve is talking to travelers at Chicago's crazy busy O'Hare Airport. The sights of a summer travel season taking off. Jammed freeways and packed airports. I'm excited that it feels good to travel again after a few years of staying home. Annette Richmond got to the Atlanta airport more than three hours before her flight, taking no chances with her big Memorial Day European cruise, even adding three extra days on the front and end of the trip in case of any travel disruptions. Delays, mix up with flights, anything with the cruise. Luckily, my travel insurance will help me cover that. The nation's airlines have been working for a year to get ahead of last summer's staffing issues that snarled flights for millions. I think it's improved compared to a year ago, but the real test of that will be going into the summer. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg is planning new regulations requiring airlines to compensate flyers for some lengthy delays, but is facing criticism for continuing air traffic control problems. Last summer, you were very hard on the airlines about their staffing issues. A year later, ATC is still having its own staffing issues. Why hasn't that gotten fixed? Well, uh, look, we're going to own anything that's under our control. We're talking about 5% of the issue, and as long as that's more than zero, then we're going to continue growing the air traffic control workforce. Tim Lalayam is just trying to take whatever the summer rush brings in stride. Excited for some of it, regretting some of it, yeah. Airport's never fun, but the destination, destination is. Things are going to stay busy through Wednesday as this three-day weekend is increasingly becoming a six-day summer starter. Chris Van Cleve, CBS News, Chicago. If you're headed to the beach, you might want to keep your eyes open in the water. From a great white in Cape Cod to a bull shark in the Florida Keys, shark sightings and attacks are making beachgoers nervous heading into Memorial Day. In New Jersey, 15-year-old Maggie Drozdowski is on crutches after a shark bit her on the foot and pulled her underwater while surfing on Sunday. I really shook it off as much as I could. It was hard though, it was heavy, but I shook my foot as hard as I could to get it off. The shark left bite marks on her wetsuit. Just in shock because I feel like I just thought that was something that would never happen to me because I've watched like all the Jaws movies and stuff. I thought of it as like a joke. 
In Marathon, Florida, a bull shark tore into Kevin Blanco's leg twice while he was spearfishing last week. I've been in the water for a very long time. I've never seen a shark act like this. It was probably around anywhere from 9 to 10 feet, probably around 500 pounds. Just a day later, another shark bit a man on the foot in the Florida Keys. There were 41 unprovoked shark attacks with one fatality in the U.S. last year, but the risk of being attacked by a shark is just one in 11.5 million. The ocean is a wild place. It's not a swimming pool, so remember that. Use common sense. With a rise in shark sightings in New York, Governor Kathy Hochul announced drones and helicopters will monitor Long Island State Park beaches this summer. To avoid attracting sharks, experts say swimming groups don't wander too far from shore and don't wear shiny jewelry. It could look like fish scales. Nikki Batiste, CBS News, Long Branch, New Jersey. Coming up, remembering two tragedies. How many more parents? will live their worst nightmare. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. Wednesday marked one year since a gunman walked into a classroom at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas, and killed 19 children and two teachers. Memorials and murals around Uvalde honor the 21 lives lost. For Veronica Mata, It just makes me feel at peace when I drive by and I see it. Driving past her daughter Tess's mural and visiting her gravesite is a daily routine. I have a picture of Tess on my nightstand and, you know, I just look at it and I just tell her, you know, Tess, you know, give me the strength, baby girl, help me get up. Help me get up today. In the year since the mass shooting at Robb Elementary School, Veronica has joined other families in the fight for answers and change. And for survivors like A.J. Martinez, who still has bullet fragments in his body, life will never be the same. My old son got left in that classroom. This is a new son I have. Yeah, I agree. Like, I don't joke around. I Sometimes I laugh. 376 law enforcement officers from more than 20 agencies waited for 77 minutes before breaching through a classroom door to stop the shooter. The mayor of Uvalde, Don McLaughlin, is still waiting for the results from the local district attorney's criminal investigation. In one year's time, I've had not one briefing. Not one. President Biden used the one-year observance to once again call for meaningful gun legislation. How many more parents will live their worst nightmare before we stand up to the gun lobby. Meta hopes other parents will never have to find out. All right, baby, we'll see you later. Love you. Donya Backus, CBS News. A federal judge has handed down the longest sentence yet for someone connected to the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Stuart Rhodes was sentenced to nearly 20 years in prison and a co-defendant got 12 years for seditious conspiracy. Members of the far-right Proud Boys face sentencing on that same charge in August. Of the nearly 1,000 people charged in connection with the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, Stuart Rhodes, founder of the Oath Keepers Militia Group, was just handed the most serious sentence yet. 
18 years behind bars. The Yale Law grad was convicted of conspiring to mobilize his own fighting force at the Capitol. It's not only the longest sentence by a good amount, but it was backed up by the court saying, you, sir, present a threat to the fabric of democracy. Prosecutors argued that for weeks before January 6th, Rhodes planned to raise money, prepare gear, and get a team ready if then-President Donald Trump invoked the Insurrection Act, something Rhodes urged Trump to do in a letter. His defense pushed back. I think that essentially they have used Stuart Rhodes' words against him. Uh, It was not what his actions were, but it was his words. In court, it was revealed Rhodes continues to rile up his followers in phone calls from jail. Federal Judge Amit Mehta called him an ongoing threat to America. At sentencing, Rhodes argued he's a political prisoner and that he and other Trump supporters are being targeted by a, quote, regime, also claiming the Oath Keepers were quiet professionals on January 6th. His team plans to appeal. Jared Hill. CBS News. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is shaking it off after the glitchy launch of his presidential campaign. When the announcement was set to begin on Twitter, there were nearly 700,000 listeners, but after technical difficulties that dropped to about 100,000, former President Trump called it a disaster. CBS's Robert Costa reports from Miami, Florida. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis fending off critics and scrutiny after his presidential rollout on Twitter faced technical difficulties. I was just kind of waiting for it to happen that it did and then we went on and and, and got it done but I think the fact that Elon and Twitter were involved for conservatives that's meaningful. DeSantis planned to highlight his candidacy in a live conversation with Twitter CEO Elon Musk on the social media platform. But that rollout staggered leading to an apparent exodus of listeners by the time he announced. An investigation is underway after an 11-year-old Mississippi boy was shot by a police officer during a domestic violence call. He's out of the hospital, but 11-year-old Darian Murray still has bandages where he was shot in the chest by an Indianola, Mississippi police officer last week. His mother, Nikayla Murray, remembers the chaos and confusion while holding her bleeding son. He was... He started singing gospel. He started praying. We started praying. We're very religious. Did you think your son was going to die? At that moment, I didn't know. The Murray family staged a sit-in at Indianola City Hall, demanding police release body cam footage of the incident. Murray says her son called 911 after an irate ex-boyfriend showed up to her house. When officers arrived, family attorney Carlos Moore said Indianola police banged on the door and ordered everyone inside the house out. He went out of his room and went towards the living room. As soon as he got in the living room, he got shot by that same officer that told him to come out. He didn't have anything in his hands or armed? or Nothing. He had nothing. The department says they will not be releasing the body cam video because it is part of an active investigation. Omar Villafranca, CBS News. Indianola, Mississippi. Three years ago on Thursday, a white Minneapolis police officer pinned a handcuffed black man to the ground for more than nine minutes, killing him. The murder of George Floyd sparked global protest against police brutality and institutional racism. A remembrance and a protest. Three years passed, but still so present. Hundreds gathered where George Floyd was murdered to pay respects and experience the community that's built up around this intersection. 
Several of Floyd's relatives were here to represent their loved one. That when George was murdered, right over on that spot, there was something that happened, a quickening that happened in this earth. And it caused all of us, all mankind, to recognize that we're all one. Since Floyd's murder, a new chief has taken over the Minneapolis police who, Attorney General Keith Ellison noted this week, came from a department that managed to transform itself for the better. A symbolic step came Thursday morning when the Minneapolis City Council passed a resolution honoring victims of police brutality. Our goal is to really set the stage for Minneapolis to lead this nation to end lynchings in America. That's why George Floyd Square still stands as protest. Floyd's family has spent these years advocating for better policing, too. It was that day that the world's eyes opened. Thank God for Daniela Frazier for having the strength to stand there and, and record that incident. Because without Daniela Frazier, we wouldn't be who we are today. And we do have a chance now. That recording helped convict the four officers involved in Floyd's murder. There have been changes to address policing problems in Minneapolis. An agreement with the state reinforces rules for officers' use of force and making arrests. It also stops officers from pulling cars over for minor issues like a broken taillight. That's WCCO-TV's David Schumann. Coming up, a special documentary on the murder of CBS News correspondent George Polk. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. This weekend, many CBS News radio stations are airing a special documentary on the murder of correspondent George Polk. He was killed in Greece in May of 1948. CBS News White House correspondent Stephen Portnoy reports the 75-year-old mystery involves a false confession and a cover-up. Our program tells the story of a CBS News correspondent who was killed in Greece. This is George Polk reporting from Athens. Polk's reporting focused on the failure of Greece's government at the height of a civil war. We now have running water only three hours each day. His bound body was found floating in a bay. As Edward R. Murrow reported, The muzzle of the gun held firmly against the base of his skull. Author Kati Martin, who wrote a book about the Polk case, says after the murder came a cover-up. All these people at the U.S. Embassy were more interested in thwarting the investigation than in advancing it. The body of George Polk... Using audio that hasn't run on the CBS radio network since it first aired in the late 1940s, the documentary highlights how this 75-year-old story has modern echoes. The Committee to Protect Journalists notes the number of media workers killed last year was up 50% from the year before. CPJ President Jody Ginsburg says globally, journalists are increasingly being depicted by the powerful in a negative light. It's to throw sand in our eyes so that the people who are engaged with exposing wrongdoing are themselves considered unreliable. It's a deliberate tactic. Stephen Portnoy, CBS News, Washington. Now to a six-month CBS News investigation into the Russian mercenary group, Wagner. Not only has it played a major role in the invasion of Ukraine, it's also accused of atrocities in Africa. The killing grounds of Bucha in Ukraine. Potential war crimes committed by the Kremlin's troops, including Russian Wagner mercenaries. The year before, another massacre, thousands of miles away in the Central African Republic town of Bambari. Here, no prosecutors documenting the mass murder. 
and no one to implicate those mercenaries who prop up CAR's president in exchange for lucrative contracts to mine gold. CBS News spoke to eyewitnesses whose names have all been changed for their protection. CAR refugee Medina fled to Cameroon after Wagner attacked Bambari and seized the family's gold trading business. They were shooting at us from the ground and the sky, she said. So many people died. The bloodbath, her son Usman told us, began shortly before midday prayers. It was total carnage, like Armageddon, he said. They spoke Russian, even Chechen. Authorities claim there was an operation to root out rebels, but some of the dead were found at this local mosque, pockmarked by gunfire. The bodies of more than 100 mostly civilians were counted, including Usman's brother, gunned down while running home to help their sister Alzina. They ordered all the men to step outside our house, Alzina said. Some were arrested, others killed on the spot. Alzina was taken to a Wagner base and raped, we were told. We then had to switch locations for security reasons, where Usman later told us another sister suffered a similar fate. They raped her in our home, he said. It became Wagner's house where they carried out those heinous deeds. It's a lot to carry. Usman weeps frequently during our interviews, asking what his family had ever done to Vladimir Putin. It is an achingly familiar cry here in Ukraine, where a staggering list of tens of thousands of potential Russian and Wagner war crimes just keeps on growing. Wagner responded to our request for comment on the allegations that it was involved in the mass murder of civilians in the Central African Republic by saying our questions were boorish and provocative and that they did not commit these crimes. Deborah Pader, CBS News, Kiev. The UN says the risk of violence against children is spiking as a record 42 million have been forcibly displaced. The war in Ukraine, conflicts around the world, poverty and climate change have created a perfect storm for violence against displaced children. And a new UN report says that the number of children on the move are particularly vulnerable. UNICEF's ambassador, actress Penelope Cruz. Children must be protected everywhere and in all circumstances. Keeping all children safe from harm and promoting their well-being is and must be everybody's business. The report says that displaced children are subject to sexual abuse and exploitation, forced labor, trafficking, child marriage, illegal adoption, and recruitment by criminal and armed groups, including terrorist groups. Here is UNICEF Chief Catherine Russell. Countries must step up child protection prevention and response services during crises. The report documents that today children are being targeted, according to Assistant Secretary General for Human Rights Ilza Brands Keris. Places where children live, play, learn, or access services must be safe havens and should never be used or targeted by any parties in conflict. Lead author of the report, Special Representative Dr. Najit Mala-Majid, warns that excluding children from services will hurt countries. Investment in national child protection systems that include displaced children rather than excluding them or creating separate services for them has proven to be more sustainable and effective in the long term.
and Penelope Cruz warns what needs to be done. Let's be united in creating a world free from violence against children. Pamela Fox, CBS News, United Nations. A call to protect the planet for future generations. Scientists say these sounds of nature are increasingly under threat. As the planet's creatures watch their habitats being destroyed by pollution, deforestation, oil and gas production, and urban development. We're doing very badly at protecting our biodiversity. Uh, We better change our ways uh, or else we're going to be in big trouble. Climate experts say the world is seeing a dangerous decline in nature, with one million species now threatened with extinction and water sources drying up across the globe. And the trouble isn't just on land. Overfishing is wiping out sea life. At the COP15 Biodiversity Summit five months ago, nearly 200 nations agreed to protect at least 30% of the planet's land and water by 2030. Conservationists want to make sure those promises are kept. They're urging people to find ways to repair damaged habitats, like planting shrubs along shorelines to protect wildlife and reduce erosion. I think that there's already a revolution, you know, especially in the younger people. Um, that, you know, aren't willing to take it anymore. The United Nations is calling for collective action around the world to help ensure a prosperous planet for all species. Tina Krause, CBS News, London. Coming up in the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keyes segment, Memorial Day and the bravery of Japanese-American soldiers. They became the most highly decorated military unit. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys segment, where every week we discuss issues including inequality. As the nation commemorates Memorial Day and Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, we wanted to recognize the contributions of Japanese American soldiers who fought for the nation during World War II at a time when many of their families were sent to internment camps after the attack on Pearl Harbor. We asked Gerald Yamada at the Japanese American Veterans Association to take us back to what they endured. There existed uh, prior to World War II uh, overt discrimination uh, against persons of Japanese ancestry. Pearl Harbor uh, accelerated that and basically were used by political leaders uh, to justify their prejudice. Uh, they used basically war hysteria to promote uh, prejudice and discrimination against Japanese Americans. And many were put into internment camps, right? Yes, uh, approximately 120, 100,000 were put in camps. Uh, my parents, grandparents were put in camp. Uh, I was born in camp. 
but still Japanese Americans still volunteered for the military. Well, the big issue facing uh, Japanese Americans, whether they were capable of being loyal and uh, political leaders, the military said they can't be trusted to uh, fight for the United States. And uh, the community felt that uh, community leaders felt that the way to establish uh, their the loyalty of Japanese Americans is to serve, uh, answer the call of service. So there, there, and after Pearl Harbor, uh, Japanese Americans were not permitted to uh, serve in the United States military. So there's an effort to overturn that ban. And uh, that stimulated another controversy as to whether or not it should be uh, segregated or uh, integrated. And uh, the community initially uh, opposed creating a segregated Japanese American unit. The military wanted a segregated military unit. And um, the argument for that was that uh, as a group, that would be a better venue to show uh, that they were loyal. The community came around and supported the segregated unit which was created in 1943. That controversy still existed among many of the those that volunteered, but the 442nd Regimental Combat Team was created in early 1943. And as history uh, shows, that, that actually was a very uh, decisive decision because as a segregated unit, they became... Um, the most highly decorated military unit in the history of the Army. Tell us a little bit about some of their accomplishments, because I think a lot of people don't know about a lot about it. It's, it's pronounced Nisei, right? Well, Nisei means second-generation Japanese-American. So Nisei were basically the generation that was uh, first, uh, that were born in the United States. So by birth, they were uh, U.S. citizens. The Issei, which is the first generation, which are those that immigrated from Japan, uh, were prohibited by law uh, from becoming uh, U.S. citizens. So in terms of uh, what they did, the 442nd was uh, created in 1943. They were uh, disbanded uh, after the war in 1946. So they were in existence for about three years. Uh, They were in combat for about 20 months, 20 to 24 months. And in that uh, period of time, uh, they received, uh, and they fought uh, in Europe. Uh, They they received uh, seven presidential rank awards uh, 21 Medals of Honor, uh, 29 Distinguished Service Cross, which is the second highest Army Medal, and uh, I think over 4,000 Purple Hearts. There, there are two battles that uh, I think are uh, were critical. Was uh, there was a, a Texas battalion that was trapped by the Germans, and uh, the army tried to rescue them, I think, three times. 
they uh, failed, so they finally uh, assigned it to the 442nd. This is called the Texas Lost Battalion. It was a five-day uh, battle, hand-to-hand at some point, but uh, the um, 442nd r- rescued about uh, over 200 Texans. A lot of those relationships continued after the war. That battle, uh, I'm told, is one of the 10 battles that are taught at West Point in terms of leadership and uh, valor. I'm curious. It's all these years later. It's 2023. And as we go into Memorial Day weekend, and it is the end of AAPI Heritage Month, do Japanese Americans and other Asian and indigenous Americans still face discrimination in, in the U.S. military? Well, I'm, you know, I think on an individual basis, there there are probably uh, issues of discrimination. Uh, you know, Harry Truman integrated the um, military. So we don't hear uh, about discrimination uh, in, in terms of being Japanese-American or Chinese-Americans. But, uh, you know, I'm sure that uh, there are individual cases in terms of promotions and assignments that that probably still exists. I also know that your communities have faced a lot of discrimination in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, and there have been horrible shootings targeting your community. I, I wonder how you're feeling going into this weekend. I mean, veterans who faced actual war. Are you, are you feeling like you're at war in this nation? Well, uh, there is, I think, discrimination. The COVID-19 epidemic, uh, I think, re-stimulated prejudice and suspicion and discrimination. I mean, I you know, I think you can't ever totally rid people of that. I mean, there's always kind of a, a low-level feeling of, uh, in terms of differences and so forth. And I think economic competition, uh, fears, and that type of thing stimulate uh, focusing on differences between people and stimulate uh, prejudice and discrimination. And unfortunately, uh, the population don't differentiate between different uh, Asian groups. So yes, I think we all have the potential of being discriminated against. Uh, And I think it's going to heighten. I think as the tensions with China uh, increase, you'll you'll see uh, uh, more discrimination and prejudice against Asian Americans. I know that you are, your organization is doing uh uh, not a cel- well, yes, a celebration, right, for Memorial Day at Arlington National Cemetery. I wondered, are you going to address any of those issues, or what's your message? The ceremony that we're holding at uh, Arlington was started in 1948, uh, and it honors the uh, all veterans, but in particular the Japanese Americans that have uh, served in, in in the military. It's uh, started in 1948, and it's the longest-running uh, uh, continuous ceremony by uh, a group other than the government. And uh, 
it's a very nice ceremony. And what we do is uh, we have speeches. And we, you know, this year, I think the theme is uh, honoring our heroes. Uh, we do talk about uh, discrimination and what uh, the Nisei soldiers uh, faced. And then what we do is we take flowers to the graves of Japanese Americans and some of our uh, friends there that have uh, supported the Japanese American community. And I think this year, I think we're visiting 220 grave sites. I'm one more question, sir, if you have a moment. I know that you just said that you will talk about discrimination at your ceremony. And I know that you also said that you think discrimination against your community is going to get worse as tensions rise with China. But do you have any hope of things ever getting better? Well, uh, the American people are big hearted and uh, understanding. So, you know, it's it's a matter of uh, education and part of our mission is continuing to send out the uh, message uh, about uh, evils that discrimination uh, create. And, you know, it's a continuing effort because every year there's uh, uh, additional uh, people that uh, are born, and so the population can can use to grow, and so you know it, it's an ongoing uh, responsibility to uh, uh, keep the uh, message out that um, we we need to keep our faith in America and its values. Uh, Executive Order nine oh six six, which uh, Roosevelt uh, signed to authorize the uh, forced evacuation of uh, Japanese Americans from the West Coast uh, is a is a classic example of racial profiling, and uh, our message is that you have to be continue continuously vigilant uh, against government actions that that discriminate. That was President Gerald Yamada at the Japanese American Veterans Association. Coming up. Farewell to a rock and roll legend. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. In California, the Berkeley Humane Shelter is housing dogs from a hoarding case in Nevada. That's left it with a plethora of puppies and a caboodle of kittens, and it needs your help. KPIX-TV's Andrea Nakano explains. With the shelter being completely full, it really needs the community to step up to help the four-legged friends. Well, this is Guinness. This is one of our very special puppies. That Executive Director Jeffrey Zerwick has been at Berkeley Humane for about a decade. This is a difficult industry to be in. Uh, it's emotionally challenging, it's physically challenging, but the rewards are great. Zerwick recently faced one of the toughest challenges when the shelter took in a large number of dogs in need of a good home. So we brought dogs from the hoarding case in on the same day. We also had dogs coming in from the Central Valley. So it was a pretty busy day at Berkeley Humane. These are the dogs brought in from the hoarding case. It's a, always a very difficult situation. Uh, in, in, in the case that we were responding to, there were 18 animals living in a trailer in, uh, outside of Reno, Nevada. All of them urgently needed medical care. Their needs are pretty um, intense. Uh, they have flea infestations, giardia, 
Um, they have social you know, behavior problems, uh, and some of them are in need of uh, major uh, surgeries. The medical care and food are a huge expense for Berkeley Humane, especially at a time when donations have dwindled down drastically. Zerwick also says more animals are landing in shelters because of the downturn in the economy. What we're starting to see is that economically, people are being hit hard, they can't afford their animals, they're having to move, they're losing their housing. The shelter is hoping to fill up its donation bucket with one of its biggest fundraisers of the year. Guinness picked up his name just in time for the Pints for Paws event, which is coming up next week. Looking for a job? If you can swim as the beach season kicks off, New York City could use a hand. WCBS-TV's Christina Fan has more. Memorial Day marks the beginning of beach season in New York City. But for the second year in a row, a lifeguard shortage is threatening to sink plans. I hope they're going to put that back on track because we missed out last, last year. The city needs 1,400 lifeguards in total, but only about 500 are currently in the pipeline. At a budget hearing Monday, Parks Commissioner Sue Donahue sounded the alarm. We are in the throes of a national lifeguard shortage that continues. You're seeing that all over the country. The need isn't from a lack of trying. Last month, the city approved a pay raise for lifeguards from $19.46 to $21.26 an hour. It also offered a $1,000 bonus. Marcus Farrow is a lifeguard instructor at Lifetime. While the health club is fully staffed, he says citywide the applicant pool is still recovering from COVID. There weren't any classes being offered during the pandemic, so they had to kind of extend some people's certifications, kind of had to scrounge around to kind of find where you were going to get recertified, and then some people were just like, ah, I just won't get recertified then. Last year, a similar shortage forced the city to reduce hours and cancel free swim lessons. While the commissioner is committed to bringing back those classes this year, hours will likely be cut again. If we get to a number around 800 or 900 would open for one shift of our pools um, and beaches. So um, like 11 to 7 is what we're anticipating. If fully staffed, lifeguards could be on duty as early as 8 a.m. But New Jersey says come on down and bring a towel. Our beaches are in great shape for this summer season. We've got the New Jersey DEP beach monitoring team in full effect. The water quality is excellent. Finally, the Globe is saying goodbye to the queen of rock and roll, the legendary Tina Turner, who died this week after a long illness at the age of 83. Tina Turner was simply the best. An electric performer with a booming, soulful voice that made you hang on every word she said. Born Anna Mae Bullock in Nutbush, Tennessee in 1939, she'd planned on becoming a nurse until musician Ike Turner discovered her as an 18-year-old and later married her. It was Ike who changed her name to Tina. In the 1960s and 70s, the Ike and Tina Turner Review became hugely successful with hits like River Deep, Mountain High and the Grammy-winning Proud Mary. But Ike was notoriously abusive, something Turner spoke about with Gail King in a 2018 Sunday morning interview. 
He didn't like that he had had to depend on me. And I didn't want to start a fight because it was always a black eye, a broken nose, a busted lip. She left the marriage in 1976 with less than a dollar to her name, which she went to court to keep. It wasn't until years later that Turner made her comeback with the release of her 1984 album, Private Dancer. The Recording Academy would recognize her as a solo artist for that work. Awarding Turner three Grammys, two of them including Record of the Year for her chart-topping hit, What's Love Got to Do With It? song she told Gail that didn't impress her at first. Day of recording from Roger said, Tina, I think the song is going to hit. So I said, okay, I can sing it. I said, but I don't like it, Roger. So I went in the studio and I applied my voice compared to the girls. You teened it up. I teened it up, yes. Tina it up meant to infuse her own style and flair, including that incomparable voice and beautiful wigs that Turner made herself, sparkling outfits, and those high-octane dance moves. Turner spent the last years of her life in Switzerland with her husband, Irvin Back, who she met when she was 46. She said as far as she was concerned, that was her first marriage. I had a very hard life that I didn't put blame on anything or anyone. I got through it. I lived through it with no blame. Here's to you. And I'm a happy person. Anthony Mason, CBS News. That's it for the Weekend Roundup. Thanks for listening. We want to get your feedback. Send us your thoughts and story ideas to Weekend Roundup at cbsnews.com. As always, you can find the program online on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. The Weekend Roundup is produced at the CBS News Washington Bureau. Sarah Fishman is a technical supervisor, and Alan Pang provides production assistance. Tara Lipinski is the executive producer. Have a great week. I'm Allison Keyes, CBS News. If you like CBS News Roundup, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.
Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.